Glacier uniquely focuses on informing and inspiring the next generation of college and university students by looking for innovative ways to recruit high school students. They are always looking for new ways to recruit with the best interest of students in mind, something that has been important to Glacier since day one. Glacier offers the largest high school advertising network in North America. This unique platform allows higher education marketers the opportunity to place massive billboard-style ads directly inside feeder high schools, leverage influential students as brand ambassadors, and layer in a robust digital advertising component. If you are ready to take your high school recruitment to the next level or want to learn more about how Glacier can help you, visit their website at www.weareglacier.org. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. This is Dr. Joe Salustio, always with me in an eternal, in eternal loop of confusion, of technology confusion, my amazing co-host, Liz Liba. Liz, how are you? You know what? You don't want this right here, because I was about to tell you, you can't even get eternal out <laughs> eternal. without stumbling over your words that's true but but so, i'm allowed to do that i can stumble yes. over my words you yes, stumble you over technology we all I do. play our role and and as i was telling our guest um you know you and i liz we we have to be i don't know if we're guarded with one another or not but every time we say something to one another it ends up here in an ed up experienced episode so yes there is no secret there's no secret that is secret there is no issue too big or too small to end up here um, absolutely audience, i'm here for it Yes, the audience should be aware that, you know, literally um, our guest and I are sitting here and I'm looking at the uh, uh, list of participants and it just says Liz Liba joining. And <laughs> for like 15 joining, minutes, <laughs> joining, joining. I'm like, seriously, what is she doing? Like, how, how does I this happen to you? Know. No one else doesn't happen to people like in reality. This is no. a, this must be a joke that you just have yeah. technology that just doesn't work. It just does not. I don't know what's happening. It's you know what's happening zooming you or, know what's happening? well here i'm gonna explain to you zoom has become synonymous with web conferencing and mm -hmm. anytime you are looking at different technologies whether it's you know webex or go to meeting or microsoft teams it's just so much confusion so that's what's happening i'm just having uh, a clash of the titans when it comes to all my web conferencing software but i think i have it under control now would it be um, fair to say, and would you be impressed that I'm impressed, Liz, that you just rattled off all of those technologies? Yeah. That, I mean, that was impressive. Yeah. Would you be impressed when I told you, or I did, I, I told you, right? That I got promoted to director of instructional design and innovation I, at my I job. I'm impressed. Are you impressed by that? Liz. <laughs> oh, this is your first time telling me congratulations. Thank you. Well, you know, you do so many amazing things like yeah. start Black History and Culture Academy. Thank and, you, Thank you know, you. you are off writing New York Times articles that get 2 million, CNN articles that get 2 million views. What, how could I possibly <laughs> congratulate you enough that has any meaning? I mean, well, you're, just... well, you're my mentor. So uh, well, that's yes. how all this is happening. I'm glad you finally admit it. Thank yeah, you, for sure. Absolutely. This is being recorded just so you know. I, I appreciate everything you've done for me. Um, I think our guest may have left. Um, let me see if he's. <laughs> I think just... he's trying to figure out what he's stumbled into here and maybe trying to, <laughs> trying to make a quick exit like, make a run a minute, for the door higher education podcast because it sounds like anyway Yay. let me bring him in because absolutely uh, please do i'm let me tell you, to hear from him this man right now he's got his game together he is i mean gold tie suit 
He is on point, ladies and gentlemen. And I know what he has to say today is going to be. And he's looking very snazzy, very (laughs) dapper. I definitely agree. When I used to go to an office, I looked like that. Now I, it's not. Now you have on like your little, uh, your wife beater t-shirt. You have like a headband around your, around your forehead because you were working out. Thanks for for increasing my credibility with my peers. I appreciate that. (laughs) He is the chancellor of Southern Arkansas University Tech. His name is Dr. Jason Morrison. Jason, how are you today? I'm doing great. First and foremost, it's Jason. Plain and simple. Well, call me Jason. Well, Jason, I want to apologize for Liz and her uh, her conduct today. Uh, so her shenanigans, her shenanigans, right? There you go. Hey, it's all good. I, I do a weekly um, radio Facebook Live show, so I know how it goes. So nice, nice. So you're a pro. I, I can't know. wait. That's, this is awesome. You know what? To, and and I got I can't tell exactly what it is, but Jason is is on screen uh, here, so I can see him, Liz, and and I know you can too. Um, a long time ago, and I say a long time ago, one of the episodes that we did previously, uh, we were talking about rocket and rocket fuel. It looks like Jason has a rocket ship lapel pin on, uh, and and we always talk, Liz, about how you are the fuel for my rocket right? because I'm the rocket and you're the, you're the fuel. Love right? it. Or yeah. is it the other way around? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, either way, snazzy. I was going to say Dr. Morrison, but. Jason is uh, ready to give us like he's gonna drop some bombs, drop some gems of wisdom. I'm already knowing. When you're not very smart, you just gotta dress good. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Well, somebody that is gonna take off, and and something is taking off, is Southern Arkansas University Tech. Jason, I think the first question that we have for you is, how's it going, man? How how is? uh, I mean, falls here. Students are coming back. Variants and. (laughs) variables and variants, amassing everywhere. How are you able to keep it all together right now? Uh, well, it's something. I mean, I'm actually closing in on finishing my fifth year here as chancellor. And and we have seen growth uh, every year, even in COVID. Um, of course, COVID hit, we hit a brick wall once COVID kind of really hit full force and we lost a lot of momentum, but the institution has been growing. And um, it's been a struggle. I mean, first and foremost, we always focus on keeping everyone safe. But as a small rural two-year college, we do not have the luxury of doing everything virtual. Mainly, our student population would not flourish well with just in a virtual environment. Uh, we really press hard to do what we have to do to get them on campus. Uh, so to, in order to give them the hands-on training and education that they need. When you're kind of a, a hybrid school where you have both transfer in career and technical, I don't know if you want your nursing students learning virtually, learning how to stick you and you know draw blood and, and all those things. They really need the hands-on approach or your welder and so forth. And so we've, we've been able over the course of COVID, I, I'd hate to say been successful, but we've been able to minimize any disruption uh, no real changes in academic delivery. Uh, we were on campus last fall in the spring. We're on campus this fall, a blip here and there. Um, but we just work through it. When you're a small school like this, you just have to address the situation, work through it. If you have an issue with the COVID, you, you address it. You try to minimize the impact it can have or reach it has on campus. And and continue pushing forth, take care of the ones that are impacted, ensure once they're back that they can 
continue down their educational path. We just don't have a luxury of, of saying, um, uh, we're just gonna do it from a distance. Uh, our students need us. They need to see our faces. They need to know that we believe in them and we can lift them up to be successful. Um, a lot of them come from very difficult backgrounds and, um, and they gotta know we're here to fight for them and, and we're willing to put ourselves in, in a situation that may not always be the, the best, but we're gonna be here to ensure that they get their education and they get whatever goal they want, they choose to have or their desire to reach. I love it. I, you know what, I, there's so much in there. I mean, you know, being able to, you know, when you go into college and you're doing something that hands-on, that requires hands-on work, being able to do it, get it done. It's, it's been a luxury, I think, for a lot of schools because so many have moved online. So the fact that you've been able to, to, to really press on, it's, I mean, kudos to you, especially when I know and everybody knows that one of the main metrics in order to do that is keeping students safe from, you know, I, I mean, that, how do you measure whether you're effective with on-ground operations these days, um, besides the educational point, is whether you can keep students safe and minimize uh, infection rates. So kudos to you guys. Would I you mean, say- It's not easy. I mean, I actually uh, work directly with our campus contact tracer. So usually Sunday evenings, the phone starts going off and we start talking about all right, this is what we got here, potentially exposed on this date, haven't been on campus since this day, or our last class was this day. Uh, and we just walk through every step, you know, and, and to ensure, um, they're, I mean, they're protected. But also we wanna keep them on, on track as far as education and, and make sure they're moving forward and, and just no retreat, just whatever we can do to keep, keep pushing forward. Which is a, one, of, one of the most amazing parts about that is Liz was telling me, that she didn't believe that uh, presidents and chancellors worked on Sunday. So, you know, thanks for, thanks for verifying that. Uh, well, when COVID hit, when COVID hit, uh, my wife, myself, and I, my little girl, we actually, and the dog, moved on campus. Because we had a lot of students in initial stages of COVID, we just didn't want to send home. We felt like the best place for them to be, even when the initial uh, spring semester when COVID hit, we had a lot of transition online. We knew our students didn't have the reliability, internet reliability and, and so forth. So we let them stay. And so as a comfort measure, uh, the wife and nine at that time, um, seven year old and dog moved on campus in a dorm room. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Uh, little uh, Brennan, the little girl enjoyed it immensely. Uh, it was a little bit to get used to. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> Did you shuffle yourself and your flip-flops down the hallway to take a, take a well, shower? Well, we have apartment style, so oh, do you? Nice. Uh, they came knocking on the door about 1130 at night and say, Dr. Morrison, will you open up the gym? We just want to go in and shoot around. I'm oh like, it's gosh. 1130. That's called 24-7 commitment right there, ladies and gentlemen. Well done. Well, we open up the gym. We'll put it that way. <laughs> so they could go in and because, you know, they've been cooped up. and Totally. We, you know, let them in there, you know, have some fun and. Because, I mean, it was very trying times. But that's the thing is I have to give credit for our institution. It's a very caring institution. Uh, everybody knows everybody. Uh, we know what's, we try to do our best to know what's going on in our students' life. So those days that they need a little uh, pickup, you know, encouragement, we're there to give that to them and hold them accountable when they need to be held accountable. But understanding that we may sometimes be the only words of encouragement and support that they get and that someone does actually believe in them. I, I want to ask just one more quick question before I hand it to Liz. 
tell, tell me about your area, Southern Arkansas University Tech. Are you guys in a rural? Would you consider your area rural? Extremely rural. I like to call it the real LA, lower Arkansas. Um, <laughs> but it's extremely rural. Uh, we do. Um, it's kind of it's kind of weird in effect. We're extremely rural area, but the campus has an interesting dynamic. Our campus sits in the middle of a privately owned industrial park. We are in the heart of the defense industry when it comes to Arkansas. That was I was going to ask you about that because there's like an Aerojet Corporation, a technology company, Lockheed Martin's in there, and right H across company. my street is as Lockheed Martin where they're developing the mobile launch vehicle. Aerojet's just about you know half a mile from me. General Dynamics, uh, Spectra or Spectra Echelon, you know counter defense measures. We we are literally in the heart of the defense industry, and some days I can hear them testing rockets in the ground will shake, and we know they're testing. Uh, and which is why we are the Rockets. Uh, when I arrived at SAU Tech, we did not have junior college athletics, uh, not since the 80s. We brought back junior college athletics and we took on the mascot, the Rockets, because we wanted to represent what our area is known for. And I had to give props, you know, in our second year of being eligible for postseason play, our men's team finished seventh in the country. It's amazing. Uh, uh, we just, we strive to push excellence you know everybody work hard as i tell students i want you win walking down the hall i don't care if you're just walking down the hall i want you win that walk have confidence have pride in yourself and have focus in what you're doing speaking of somebody that uh, strives to uh, uh to promote and achieve excellence uh, that's me and that's why i brought <laughs> Elizabeth Libon is my co-host, right, Liz? Yeah, because you, you knew you I would elevate you, you to the next level. Did you think I was going to go in a different direction on that? I one? did, I did, but Just I should have known better. Toes, yeah, you definitely have to. And I'd love to, speaking of keeping um, people on their toes, I should say students on their toes, I'd love for Jason to tell us a little bit about the student dynamic in terms of the types of students that you serve and maybe give some advice or some feedback or just some words of wisdom for college leaders across the country, as far as how we can, I always think about this from the faculty perspective, when we're dealing with students that are coming from special circumstances, as you alluded to, you know, students that may have had challenges, whether it's the environment that they grew up in or their academic progression and they are wanting to um, be more successful in your school is committed to creating an environment that, as you said, you really are striving and encouraging student success. What are some of the things that you have done or initiatives or programs that you're um, that you're working on on your campus that help with student success? And how has that pivoted or changed in COVID and post-COVID? What are you kind of doing just to make sure that you're continuing to support your students in the best way possible? Well, I mean, one thing is you, you must first and foremost get to know your students. I mean, even I think that's the one thing at a chancellor position or president position. Um, I, I don't lock myself away. I, I'm fully immersed in the student population. Uh, I drive the, my wife is the volunteer cheer coach. I drive the cheer van to away games, you know. Uh, they need a driver, I'll drive them. I mean, and, and it's just knowing your students. We are a very diverse uh, two-year college, probably one of the most diverse colleges uh, in the state of Arkansas among our student population. 
And it's really having opportunities and pushing opportunities about students learning from one another, learning about each other. Because uh, even if you have, you know, diversity of, from an external point of view, a lot of the internal experiences students have are similar. And we want to focus on those similar experiences and how can you grow together? And how can you, know, you share the experiences you have as an individual with each other to help boost each other forward? And so I think having a close-knit college where we only have about 160 in campus housing, we create and cultivate that environment where students see each other and, and see the experiences they have um, that they bring to the table. And, and we have a really strong, cohesive uh, campus environment uh, where students from all different backgrounds are interacting with one another. And I think that starts at, at the highest level to how we you know, promote the college from, you know, from our, our support offices to the classroom, uh, to cohort type programs that, you know, no matter what we may look at, like on the outside, the experiences that we have and the experience that we're getting the opportunity to have at SEU Tech is really what's gonna define us as a person and define our future. I love that idea of shared experiences and similarity because it speaks to the heart of a lot of what I think about when I think about student success, when I think about diversity, when I think about, um, making sure students feel like they belong and that a college is invested in them being successful. A lot of that is nurturing that environment so that the students feel like it's like a, a place away from home. It's like a home away from home, you know? Mm -hmm. when, when you think about sending these students out into the workforce after they've graduated and, and they've been successful to meet their goals, I, I love this idea of focusing on, and we're trying to do that as well through the podcast. There's so many different types of pathways to success. So it doesn't have to be necessary that you go away to a four-year state school and you pursue, you know, a business degree or whatever the case may be. There are so many different like hands-on technical training programs and different two-year programs and certificate programs that, especially now uh, post-pandemic, we're thinking about as a country, like how we can be more responsive and, and make sure that we upskill, reskill, uh, get learners where they need to be. What goes into your thought process? You talked about being in this, um, area of unique types of industry, when you're thinking about programs that you're offering and bringing in and connecting with potential employers in uh, the community, can you speak a little bit to that? Because I think that's a part of maybe the, the greater discussion that we've been having on the podcast over the past year is this idea of how can higher ed be more responsive and making sure that we're rolling out programs and giving students the return on investment that they really want and need and making sure that we're serving the best interests of the communities that we're in as well? Well, I think, well, obviously knowing the community that you're uh, invested in and what's impacting its economic growth and, and, and what's being pushed as far as, because often economically speaking, we're always, you hear talks about new businesses, new business. Most economic growth in a state is the expansion of your current businesses. And we are seeing that in our area where we have right now probably 300 uh, positions available. And I see it as a responsibility of the college to maybe a, to go beyond what a typical community college service area is and attract students from all over that may want to come into the, other, into the area and see a pathway to a career. I guess to, to kind of 
give you a, a feeling of my philosophy, something that we in two-year colleges have to do, and this is something I speak a lot. Um, we we got to start investing in two-year colleges, and we have to stop treating two-year college students like they're some kind of second-class citizen because they're making a commitment to go to a two-year college because they want a career and technical type profession, or they're starting a two-year college to transfer to a four-year university. We have to stop treating them like they're some kind of second-class citizen and that they don't deserve a right to a full college experience. And since I've been at SU Tech, one of my first and foremost thing is I wanna make sure you have a full college experience. I wanna make sure you have the athletics. I wanna make sure you have the choir. We have the only tech scholars program of its kind at a two-year college in the state of Arkansas. I wanna make sure you have that unique experience so you don't feel like you're missing out on something. There's, there's plenty of time to be a grown up, but during this time, we wanna make sure you enjoy your time at the college level, even if you're going into something like welding or aviation maintenance or, you know, we have a program that's the only program in the state of Arkansas, non-destructive testing. Everything that's manufactured in our industrial park has some form of non-destructive testing. We have the only program in the state. So I want to make sure that you're going into one of those career and technical programs. How is that any different if you were going in to study liberal arts or, or something, or, you know, I'll pick on myself going to get a political science degree with whatever you may end up doing with it, I guess maybe become a chancellor, but that you're somehow not viewed to be different. And the problem that we are having in filling these positions in our society is we have this perception because you go into some type of career or technical, you're different and you're not the same as someone that may pursue a more a business administration or a liberal arts style degree. And that's something that I'm passionate about destroying the myth just because you go to a two-year college, you're not a second-class citizen and you deserve the same rights, opportunities, and experiences that a student goes to a huge tier one four-year university. Glacier uniquely focuses on informing and inspiring the next generation of college and university students by looking for innovative ways to recruit high school students. They are always looking for new ways to recruit with the best interest of students in mind, something that has been important to Glacier since day one. Glacier offers the largest high school advertising network in North America. This unique platform allows higher education marketers the opportunity to place massive billboard style ads directly inside feeder high schools, leverage influential students as brand ambassadors, and layer in a robust digital advertising component. Every campaign is custom built for your institutional goals while taking into account Glacier's robust knowledge and expertise in recruiting high school students. This comes from over eight years of experience, over 1,000 campaigns executed, yearly research papers, and quarterly roundtables with high school students. Nobody understands the high school demographic better than Glacier. If you're ready to take your high school recruitment to the next level or want to learn more about how Glacier can help you, visit their website at www.weareglacier.org. I am so glad you said that. I am the biggest proponent of hands-on technical degree programs. Uh, my dad was a mechanic. My mom was a nurse before they retired. And I think you're right. There is a stigma where if you go to like a big four-year traditional or a big Ivy League four-year school, somehow there are these different 
um, just hierarchies in terms of education. And for some reason, if you don't go to one of those uh, traditional type routes and you're, you're doing technical, it's almost like, a, like you said, you're not getting the full college experience. So it's amazing that you're able to provide that. Before I hand it back over to Joe, can you talk about also some of, this is a chance for you to just brag on you guys is because y'all have, you have had so much success with your school and some of the awards that you've won and, and some of the recognition that you've received about the Aspen Prize, just so many things that you're, you're doing in terms of recognition of your programs and your offerings. And, and, and I think it's really good to talk about that stuff because it does go toward the, the just destigmatizing and um, just destroying those myths about Oh, a four-year school is so much more uh, beneficial or is so much more elite than if you're going to two-year school and you're getting out there and you're still being able to be successful? Well, first, all students need to find out what their fit is. Every, every student has a different environmental fit. They have to find the environment they feel like they're going to be successful. And they also have to find a profession or career that they're going to enjoy. I mean, we see a lot of push of uh, uh, young students going into a profession because automatically they hear about the dollar signs and, and things like that, but they don't, truly do not have a passion for it. And so we gotta we we have to do a better job of matching those things up. And and when we do that, that's where the success of the institution. You have students in programs that are very prideful of the program they're in. They're invested in their program, and the more invested in the program, the more successful the successful they're going to be in the program which leads to some of these other accolades and stuff like that. And, and I'm not one to, I mean, I'm sure they're all over our website and everything. Um, to me, you get recognized so bit, now move on, what, do we, what can we do tomorrow? Uh, recognitions are usually uh, based on the past. And if we wanna survive as a, a, a rural tier college and continue to be uh, prosperous and, and be on the, on, on the cusp of change and advancement, we can't be looking in the past and holding our heads up because we just we want recognized for some award. So be it. What are we going to do tomorrow? How are we going to advance this institution? Because the students that are out there that are not in our institution, they're not always concerned about what happened in the past. They want to know what's going to be in place to attract them to the college. and It's going to help them reach their goals. So I'm probably the worst when it comes uh, uh, to this um, idea of, oh, awards, 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 because I've even told my men's basketball team, yeah, you, you finished seventh in the country, season's over, what about next year? Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and they like that because yeah, number it left six. them what happened to number six? It, it, it left them hungry, you know, and, and that's what I like because um, I'm definitely not that everybody gets a trophy generation. Uh, if I got a trophy, I was always asked, how can you improve? How can you be better? where were your mistakes and, and what can you do to advance the team, not just yourself as an individual. And, and I, I hope we're instilling that mindset here at SU Tech is, you know, the past is a past. And because the worst thing I, I, I mean, it almost makes me just go crazy is when someone says, well, this is how we've always done it. I cannot stand those words. I ask them when they say that, I ask them, how do you want to do it? It's your department, it's your area. It's your ownership. I can tell you that's not going to do us any good in the long run. I need to know how you want to do it, how you're going to invest, how you're going to advance your area, because you cannot depend on me all the time to provide you the answers. You need to have the answers. 
you need to learn and develop as a leader. And I even tell the students, you need to learn and develop as a student to have your own answers and not depend on someone else to always come in at the last moment and give you the answer. Now, if we get to that point, I come in and uh, I'll give an answer. I'm not sure if it's right all the time, but uh, I'll give them an answer and, and do my best. But I, I really like to see, um, especially the next generation of leaders, because I'm at the point in my career, um, it, I, I'm more focused on developing those leaders and, and their comfort and their um, empowerment that they can make decisions. And I'm okay if they make a wrong decision because usually we can fix those pretty easily. I'd rather make them a wrong decision and be moving forward and, and then be so hesitant and play so safe that you don't, you're not willing to make a decision or put yourself out there. And, and, and that's, like I said, I'm in that, probably that stage of my career where uh, that, that's one of my major priorities outside of continuing to grow this institution and move this institution forward is I wanna know when it's my time to, to walk away um, I help cultivate the future of higher education and, and, and they'll continue on uh, the message. Hopefully they'll be, it'll be a lot better than anything I've ever done, which probably won't take much, but so I'm sure it will be, but I, I hope they have that mindset that I want to be better and, and do more and, and, and advance more uh, than Jason did. And, I, and I'm okay with that. My ego will be fine. <sighs> I love that. it. I love it. Liz, awesome. you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. I used to have hmm. a boss that would say to me, well, if you're waiting for me to give the answer, you, if you're waiting for me, I can't talk today. If you're waiting for me to give you the answer, then I don't need you. <laughs> exactly. Well, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> I, and, and, and I don't think they meant it with malice. I mean, they're, no, they're, they're wanting to challenge that, that, that next uh, group because we're seeing huge, there's about to be a, tremendous retirement in higher ed and there's going to be extreme void and, and a lot of research is showing is you don't see people just stepping up every day to try to fill president's positions and chancellor's position mainly because you maybe die a little bit each day uh, because of the stress and the worry and the concern and and because and, you literally and maybe i'm doing it wrong which could be the case I, I truly worry about every single situation on campus. If my students leave and go home for the weekend, there's many cases if they're, you know, if we have some kind of connection or relationship, I mean, I know with our cheer squad, if it's after a game, because my wife's a coach and they decide they're going to go home after a game, they text us, text us, let us know they're home safe. It might be four o'clock in the morning when they make it, but they're going to text us to let us know they're home safe. And, and it's just one of those things you worry about every single life of your employees, faculty, staff, your students. You worry about, you know, situations. You worry about um, when they leave here, are they making the right decisions? And, and I think uh, you're going to see a lot of people not want to go in um, to these positions. But then again, I might be doing it wrong, so... No, I think you're right. I mean, they're they're predicting a mass exodus from higher ed administrator positions for a number of reasons. Num one of them being fatigue, just dealing with coronavirus, and when you're when you're holding the future of people's lives in your hands, that that tends to weigh on your mental health. And we've seen some retirements. We actually talked to a couple of presidents that were 
um, that were literally retiring. We talked to one that was literally retiring the day after we recorded the episode. Like that, that's literally where it's been. And, you know, I don't have, um, as a, as a chief operating officer at my institution, I don't have the exact amount of pressure that you're describing. Cause I, you know, have my president carries that around and we're, we're fully online. So it's a different kind of uh, pressure, but I do liken that to, um, to dealing with Liz and, and, uh, literally worrying about what she's going to say. Oh, dealing with me is like way that. harder than every time that, she yeah. comes off. Mute. I like you guys. I need to bring you on my show. <laughs> every we're there. She, yeah, every time she comes off mute. Yeah. You don't know what I'm going to do. It's like, going to be a curveball. We're starting baseball uh, next fall, fall 22, 23. So probably your best curveball slider or whatever you got. Oh, I thought you were going to ask Liz to play baseball. I was gonna, <laughs> like, All right. You're, I don't know how good your team is. but Well, you know. on a previous episode, we were able to discover that I don't know how to ride a bicycle. So we definitely don't want to talk about my baseball throwing skills because that would probably <laughs> rival. Discovered. We, we did discover. <laughs> that um, was discovery. And, and the, the, actually the discovery there, Jason, was that every single time previous to that, I would say you have to fix the bike while you ride it. Liz had absolutely no idea what I was talking about, right? Because she can't ride a bike. So just exactly. for Exactly. Isn't that awful? How but, sad for me. Jason, I want to go that, back to- That is kind of sad. I, uh, <laughs> Oh no, I can't that I can't wait to play wait, this episode they, over. They have they have training wheels you can get. Uh you know what? I was gonna get a tricycle, but I'm just like that would look so my like... mind just exploded. Liz, if you could go get a bike with some training wheels and send me a I, I'm thinking I like promise a you I will never use it for anything. That that'll that'll suit you. Get you a my little pony bike or something. <laughs> yeah. That is a great idea. I may have one in in the attic. I was going to say, does your seven-year-old have a My Little Pony bike? She's nine now, uh, but she did, and I may have the helmet that goes with it. If you could could find it in your heart to pass that down to me, I would appreciate it. Implicitly, I swear, if you... Send me a picture of you on a bike. I'll do it. I will never share it in social media. <laughs> never, you, ever. I'm going to share oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't trust you guys. <laughs> uh, Jason, I do want to come. I want to circle around to one, one topic okay. you brought up. I want to go back to the stigma community colleges just for a second. This, this is a critical issue uh, to discuss. We've, we've talked to a lot of community college leaders uh, about it. And rather than community colleges being what many perceive to be the second choice, that it's a college first choice. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that that is changing is through the affordability lens, where students are, are intentionally choosing community college because they're more debt conscious, more financially savvy. There's a lot of noise in and around higher education, as I'm sure you're very familiar with, with affordability and accessibility being key equity issues in higher ed. If higher ed is really for all, then it better be affordable for all. And community colleges are filling that space, aren't they? Yeah, I think you, you're going to see a lot of geographical um, uh, differences when it comes to that. some areas a little bit further along than others. When you're uh, in a more rural state, uh, there's always where community college systems are probably a little bit uh, relatively younger. If you think about in Arkansas, Really, the birth of community college systems were not till 1991, which is when you think of higher education terms, uh, a younger community college system um, as, a, as a kind of a cohesive unit. And so I think depending on kind of the makeup of your state, economically, geographically, uh, some areas still have a four-year or a dive mentality where it's still that 
we grow our state economically with, a, with the perceptional growth of more four-year degree completers. Uh, beyond the fact that your two-year degree, degree completers are making more on average than those with a four-year degree. And so I think you have to deal with that dynamics a little bit based on different areas. I think, you know, I, I think the tide is turning, but I think depending on where you're at, there's still, you know, we, we, we have to, we are still educating counselors and so forth about the value of two-year colleges and the importance of two-year colleges and, and saving money. And, and I do agree that you are seeing some students that are, are a little bit more savvy when it comes to the economics of it and the more affordability uh, of two-year colleges. But we can only continue that if we see greater equitability in the funding. You know, most states you probably have anywhere where 70% of the funds, no matter what, go to the four universities. And then your remaining two-year colleges, which usually double the amount of four-year universities you have in the area, are getting 30% of the pie divided up amongst more institutions. And when you have a funding system based like that, it's going to be a continued struggle for community colleges to continue providing that affordability in higher education. There has to be um, at, at the top level a greater investment in federal and state dollars because uh, not all community colleges have local uh, tax base and revenue base. Uh, so there's got to be some more uh, more equitable funding in um, in higher education because you're you're expecting someone to do the same thing, in some cases, really do more when it comes not only you're providing a direct pathway to career and technical professions, but you also, we name touch uh, skim the surface on the fact of workforce training and, and providing continual training for area industries to advance their workforce, train their workforce, increase their workforce. And we haven't even touched that and, and we're still talking about, on average, across the, the United States, community colleges getting a way smaller portion of the funds. And, and if that's going to continue to be the case, then it's going to it's going to be harder for community colleges to maintain the affordability. Their price is going to go up, and probably uh, quicker, more quickly than uh, uh, Pell and federal assistance will go up. You know, you'd hope that the changing demographic of the college student will bring some equitability in the way that the funding is distributed because community colleges, as everybody knows, if you listen to this podcast before, it's not like you're serving Jason, the 18 year old who just decides that they're going to go to community college instead of uh, university of Arkansas. You're, you're dealing with the 28 year old student or the 38 year old student who's taking part-time classes. They uh, might be a single mom. They've got two jobs. They've got, you know, and Liz and I, we we've said this a million times, like you're one little headlight, you know, somebody's bangs your door and you have a dent away from quitting school because it's the one bill you couldn't handle. And there's sometimes more work to be done in retention and engagement in the community college than in a what, what we would consider the brick and mortar traditional four-year university. And, and I could be totally off there. I don't think I am, but, but uh, you're, I, you're, there's hard work. You're absolutely right. Uh, some of the things that uh, situations we have to deal with, uh, I don't think students seek out barriers but as soon as they're confronted with the barrier, it's almost, you know, that, that voice in their head, which means they probably heard it from somewhere. I told you you shouldn't be here. I told you you didn't need to be there. I told you you couldn't make it. And, and that just naturally creeps in. And so we have to react quickly to ensure, because a lot of times those students will just start slowly dripping to the side, the periphery, and before you know it, they're gone. 
and, and it could be small things. It could be, you know, a flat tire that couldn't get changed or, you know, something messed up. Uh, we have a, a, a local gentleman, great supporter of this, the college, longtime resident. We had a student that had a, brakes went out on his car. He was here yesterday morning before the sunrise, helping the student, you know, the student bought all the brake pads and stuff, and he was helping the student put his brake pads on his car. I mean, it really takes a community environment because, you know, kids, kids don't always have, and it's not that parents don't care and parents are not supportive, but there is a difference when you, you get confronted with something and you can call mom or dad or a big brother and something and say, hey, this is what happened. What does that mean? And you have someone explain it to you versus I don't know. Uh, you probably just need to you probably just need to go ahead and drop out. I mean, as that being your first reaction, and 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 we're trying to do our best, um, you know, ramping up more, ramping uh, ramp up of our student services support, counseling. I mean, that is something that we need to see across the board when it comes to higher education. There's got to be some type of financial assistance put in place to provide more counseling to students. Um, Students are, are, are it, it's, you know, as we are, we raise the next generations, um, students are, are finding it very difficult to deal with situations. And sometimes uh, based whatever the upbringing is, don't know, have any foundation to how to deal with situations. Um, and it's so important to, to recognize it is. I mean, I'm a Gen Xer, you just bury it deep. <laughs> Mm -hmm. you, know, you just bury it deep and you, you keep going, but that's not healthy either. But having addressed the mental health aspect of our student population and, and then, the you know, we have a food pantry in which about 80 plus percent of our students utilize a food pantry. So we have a lot of churches in the area that give to our food pantry. I mean, I've, I've had students give me a call 930 on a Saturday night. Hey, Doc, um, can you can you open up the food pantry? I'm like. Yeah, give me about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and I'll be out there and load up. Of course, the little one always wants to go with me and we'll head out to campus and we'll open up the food pantry and get some kids some meals and stuff and, and, and stuff like that. And uh, I, I just think we're, we're just dealing with so many different variables. And now we've thrown COVID in the mix of it. And it's, it's a trying time for the student population. And they have to have a voice somewhere that's still pushing them to move forward and still encouraging them to be successful, encouraging them to take risk. You know, uh, I know I'm visiting with a student the other week, they're going into one of our marquee programs, uh, Welding Academy, where we had students that graduated making $5,000 a week. And a student was worried about taking out a, you know, a small $1,000 student loan. I said, well, think about it's an investment in yourself. You know, you do this nine month program you go right to work, let's say you get hooked up and you make, let's say $3,000 a week, Well, you can pay that student loan off right there in the first week. You know, I said, do you believe enough to invest in yourself? And he's like, yes. I said, then don't be afraid to invest in yourself. At some point in life, you're going to have to take a risk and you're going to have to believe that you got the ability to come out on the other side in the right place and, and, and to advance yourself. And, and, and sometimes you're going to have to want to be the one to take the leap of faith and believe in yourself in, in order to be successful. That's incredible. That's called a mic drop moment here in the experience. And Liz, <laughs> I, I think uh, we're in a good spot for you to, 
to ask Jason the final two, if you will. Oh, is there a drum yeah. roll? Yeah. Oh, there will be soon, Jason, as soon as I get my audio <laughs> interface stuff figured out. Oh, please don't do that. You bought like 10 audio interfaces, and I don't think we can take any more of the sound effects at this point. You got point a rocket from. blasting off? Yeah, oh, could. And and we when Liz says we, she just means her. Just her. <laughs> well, this has been phenomenal. I love your passion, and I, and I also love that you're speaking to the heart of, I think, what sometimes gets lost when we're thinking about higher ed and all the things that need to happen in order for us to continue to thrive. And a lot of that does boil down to us really investing in student success and wraparound services and mental health and all the things, food insecurity and and, uh, the, the digital divide. There's so many things that have come up in the past year and a half that probably were kind of in the background and and not necessarily pushed to the forefront. So, and I think, I don't think we've had anyone speak as eloquently about the difference in funding as well in terms of community college versus state college. So thank you so much for really just bringing a lot of these issues to the forefront for discussion and, and continue to do everything you're doing at Southern Arkansas University Tech. So we wanna wrap up these last couple of questions. The first one being, is there anything that we missed? Anything that you wanna talk about, about your institution? Um, Anything that might be coming on the horizon that we should be, uh, listeners should be aware of? And then the second question would just be, what do you see as the future of higher education? Um, First and foremost, our institution, I'm I'm so proud of, what our people have accomplished. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm coming up on my, finishing my fifth year. Um, we've had about a $25 million investment, investments into our schools that have not been attributed to direct increase or just state funding. We're talking through grants. We're through, talking through some budgetary, uh, uh, improving budgetary uh, processes and, and um, just, really smart spending habits, uh, blessed with the governor that uh, we also oversee the Arkansas State Fire Training Academy. Uh, it's the only certified tra- training academy in the state of Arkansas. Blessed to have a governor that granted us with $12 million of his own personal discretionary funds to build a residential facility. You know, it. our people, and that was a project that the fire academy that they've been working on for 30 plus years. And we were able to accomplish that. And um, our people have worked hard. Because uh, when I, I remember when I interviewed in back in 2016, I, t- I told everybody, if you hire me, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a scholars program. We're going to start athletics. We're going to start an RN program. We're going to look for programs that another, no other college has. We're not going to duplicate people. We're going to set our own pathway. You know, the worst thing community colleges do is they see somebody that has a program and they try to duplicate it. Be your own self. Come up with your own ideas. Find your own niche that you can serve. I said, these are what this is what we're going to do. So you got the time. You got the moment now to decide if this is going to be your guy. Um, and they did. And when I got here January 1st, 2017, we hit the ground just blazing. And we were able to institute everything I, I said that we were going to do we've been able to do. Um, and, and it's just been phenomenal. And you can't do that if you don't have the right people. Our people were on the cusp of greatness, just needed that little push and encouragement that you're the ones that can do this. 
you're the ones that can make this happen. So be it having the only non-destructive testing program in the state or a new RN program to help serve uh, our healthcare needs, especially in the time that we are in the midst of this pandemic when we need more nurses, you know, starting the only sonogram program at a two-year college in the state of Arkansas, having an elite welding, having one of the few remaining aviation, we cut our own niche. We wanna be somewhere where students all over the state are in border states, see that they can get a great education opportunity at SAU Tech. You know, we have housing, uh, which a couple of community colleges in the state of Arkansas have jumped on board and created housing opportunities but we were one of the originals to have housing and, and housing and security, you made mention, that is an enormous need. We're looking to expand housing on campus. We got a historical grant, first phase of a million dollars. We'll be getting a second phase in another year for a million dollars to expand, probably another hundred beds in housing. So our, our students can have a safe place to live and you know reliable fiber internet and those things. So it, it's a, just a culmination of, of great success because of the talent that we had on the ground. And sometimes it's finding talents that some of them didn't realize they had and telling them, I believe that you can do this and just letting them go. And to watch them flourish, it, it reminds me, really reminds me when I was in the classroom as a teacher, a college a instructor, political science and sociology, just watching that light bulb click on someone and see them flourish and their critical thinking just excel uh, at that moment in time. And, and I, I, see, I see the same thing in my position now is we are a, an amazing little two-year institution. Some people may not even know we exist, but we have worked hard to make people realize we're going to be one of the top institutions in this country at some point in time, uh, or I haven't done my job. If we haven't done that, then I failed what I was supposed to do. And, and we're going to continue fighting to do that, continue to fight advancement of our foundation. Our foundation has grown more in the last five years than and raised more money in five years than maybe the 20 years plus prior. It's because you've got to sell yourself. You've got to, you've got to continue to promote yourself and sell yourself as an institution. You've got to be exciting. You've got to be relevant to your industries and needs of your industries and your community. And the community needs to know that as, as I convince my community, you're a college town community. I don't think you've ever seen yourself to realize that you're a college town because we always think it's a four year that's a college town. No, Camden is a college town in your home of the Rockets. Uh, far as the future of higher education, uh, I guess there's some things I'm concerned about. Um, I hope we don't just jump all in on this. Everything can be done virtually from a distance because we're, mu we're missing out on the investment of the human capital. We're missing out on the investment on human emotions and interaction. And, and, and those students that do not have reliability are gonna fall further behind. So I hope we don't have this idea that, you know, the half a million uh, video platforms that you named at the beginning of the show is the solve all. What happened to talking to someone face-to-face, -face, a shake of the hand and, and knowing that, you know, we can trust one another and we're in this together, you lose a little bit of that uh, digitally. Not to say virtual technology is not great, uh, it is. I believe in synchronous moments, live moments where you can interact, 
but we cannot lose sight of the human relation investment of interacting with one another, uh, coming together with one another, learning about one another and working together. Uh, it can't always be done uh, virtually. Sometimes we need it. We actually need to be in the same room and, and, and share the same experiences face to face. And sometimes technology can uh, allow us to hide and, and disguise ourselves. And I, I don't think that's, and this is just my opinion, you probably get some people to criticize it and that's fine. I mean, send them my address. Um, I, I just don't think that's, that's always best. Um, I don't send someone an email. I don't call them on the phone, text them. I go to their office. If I need to see them, I don't summon them to my office like it's some big mystery. Oh my gosh, I gotta go. I go see them because what they're doing at their desk and that time in their office is way more important than losing the, the minutes or seconds to walk to my office. I'll go see them because I want them to know that they're in the they're in the control here of what they're doing. And I'm only here to maybe spark an idea to to push something along, to inquire, to gain more information about what's going on, but they have the ownership and, and they don't feel like they have that ownership when they're sitting across the desk from you. They feel like they have the ownership when they're in their environment and they rather see me face to face to judge my emotional response or, or, or my facial response as far as, you know, yeah, that's great. No, whoa, you know, and I, I hope higher education and our secondary education, because I, I think it's going to be far. And once again, my opinion, so I apologize for I think the virtual push should be far more damaging in our secondary education process because these kids, these young people, although it can be a benefit and additive, it's not to solve all. And these young people need interaction. They need the personal interaction. And 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 that's just my soapbox. And and you know what? I'm probably wrong. And like I said, I'm not very smart, but I wear a nice suit. Wrong or right, you owned the soapbox. And that's all we care about here at the Edip Experience is that you, you, you have the ideas, you stay committed to them, and we really appreciate that. Um, I will tell you that this has been an awesome episode. I very much enjoyed it. Liz, you? Absolutely. I love your passion. I love what you stand for. I think what you're talking about is just really, it strikes to the heart of what leadership needs to be in higher education. And uh, literally you drop so many gems. I'm going to be picking these up and making like a diamond necklace out of them because this mm, was phenomenal. <laughs> well, my birthday's coming up. If you want to get me a, a you know, a ring out of those gems. Nice. Yes, for sure. You got it. You made us <laughs> our new rocket propel pen. You can get me there a you go. diamond rocket pen. Love hey, it. We, we need one of those uh, so we can unbox it. His name is Dr. Jason Morrison. He is Chancellor of Southern Arkansas University Tech, and he dominated today on the Edip Experience. Jason, it was an honor to host you. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. I, I, I love the opportunity to talk about higher education. Uh, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I just know I've been put in the position that I am in by the grace of God, and, and he says I have a purpose to help people in, in my area to, to advance their opportunities and hopefully to change their life and, and really in hopes to change the life of their children uh, in, in the next generation. 
and and that's what I'm here for. And I'm going to continue to fight until uh, I can't fight any longer. And I'll probably fight for a few years after that.